Yo, 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 what's going on, man? Hope you are doing well. I am about to share an interview between myself and a guy named Thomas Williams. And Thomas Williams is a former NFL player. So I think that's a first. I don't think we've had any former NFL athletes on here. Um, and he he has been uh, basically trumpeting a message about finding your greatness for the last few years. And really, since he he exited the NFL, this guy's worked with people like Pete Williams, uh, sorry, Pete Carroll, um, Reggie Bush, and a bunch of other athletes and got really fascinated by what makes these people great, what makes them stand out, why are they so good at what they do, et cetera, et cetera. And he's found a way to, I would say, distill some of those discoveries into concepts that you and I could apply in our lives, even though we're not genetically gifted like some of these guys or you know, didn't have some of those advantages that maybe they did that led them to their place of prominence. And so I wanted to bring him on because I think, you know, this podcast is called Unleash the Man Within. I believe everybody has something powerful and something great within them, including you, the listener. And I wanted you guys to hear from an expert in this area so that when you start thinking about what life looks like when you get free, when you start thinking about what it looks like for you to step into your destiny and the calling that God has on your life, you think about how you can do it with excellence and with greatness. And so Thomas is going to help you do that today in our interview. He's also got a book that he'll promote, but I wanted to just mention it really quick here as well. It's called Dig, and it really talks about this subject matter on a much more comprehensive level. So the link is in the show notes if you want to get access to that. In the meantime, let's dive in. This is my interview with Thomas R. Williams. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose, supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Perfect. All right. Well, I'm here with Thomas Williams. And dude, you are pioneering some really cool messages here in the realm of leadership development. You got a book about uh, digging into your greatness. Dude, I love it. So I'm super excited to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And the same thing goes back to you, man. You know, one of the things I feel like as men, we're supposed to be the superheroes. And so where do the superheroes go? Mm-hmm. to get their their capes and, and all of their superpowers. So salute to you, Sathya, and appreciate everything that you're doing for our world, man. Oh, thanks, brother. I appreciate that. So, okay, let's give a little bit of background because um, greatness is a pretty big subject. And I think a lot of people wouldn't have the boldness to say like, hey, I'm the guy you want to talk to about being great yeah. and dig into your greatness. But your your pedigree speaks for itself. And I'm wondering if you can just tell our audience a little bit about uh, you know, your career path and anything else you want to add that's led you to doing this kind of work now? Yeah. So one of the biggest things that I've, I, that I've been infatuated with, with studying greatness, with being around greatness, and then also just being exposed to it is that there's no limit, right? And so when we think about uh, saving money, right? I want to save $10 per month. There's a limit to that. Or mm-hmm. I want to lose 10 pounds. There's a limit to that. But I want to become great. I want to be around greatness is that there's no limit to that. And so I really feel like greatness allows people to live beyond their imagine, 
but also inside the potential because we all have potential, right? So if, if, you know, one of the things that I love sharing with people is that I, I'm not Michael Jordan, but me and Michael Jordan have something in common. We both got cut from a basketball team. His just so happened to be in high school. And then he went on to become one of the greatest basketball players ever. And mine started in seventh grade when I got cut from the basketball team. It was my first athletic adversity. And when I experienced that adversity, I learned the greatest thing that I could have obviously possibly learned, especially at the age of 12, is that if you want something, work tirelessly to achieve it. And so the next year, I earned a spot on the basketball team. Now, I might have been the ninth, 10th, or the 12th man, not the sixth man, but I might have been the 12th man because I'm horrible at basketball. But when I got cut from the basketball team in seventh grade, I asked the coach, I said, coach, what is it that my friends are still playing on the basketball team as seventh graders? And I got cut. They don't have to pay to play basketball, but I do in the rec league. He said, Thomas, you absolutely have no left hand. And he said, work on your left hand and come back next year and we'll find out what it is. And so I worked tirelessly. I bought a basketball court or basketball hoop, put in the front yard, filled it up with sand so it didn't tip over and blow over in the wind. And like in the rain, in the in the summertime, in darkness, I was just working on my left hand, dribbling with my left hand, making layups with my left hand. And so I came back and I made the basketball team the next year. And what I learned in that moment is that the greatest basketball player I could become was the one that I was in seventh grade. I wasn't supposed to go on and play professional basketball. And so for me, I learned that lesson valuable there. And then it helped me into high school when I started to play football and I was a baseball player and ultimately earned a scholarship to USC, the University of Southern California, where I played there for four years, redshirted a year, won two national championship. And I was around greatness. It was around greatness and the coaches like Pete Carroll, who's now the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks around Ken Norton Jr., who played football in the NFL, then became a head coach, or I'm sorry, then became a, a linebacker coach in college, and then ultimately a defensive coordinator in the NFL. And then around great players like Matt Lyon, Reggie Bush, Brian Cushing. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, you know, future Hall of Famers, first rounders, but I was exposed to the greats. And what I think greatness is, is that when your maximum talent reaches your maximum mindset, and so it's the work ethic of the backup. It's the work ethic of the person who might not get the shot, but they have the talents of the best. And so, hmm. so many times we come into situations where somebody just rests on their talents, which were God given, and then yeah. they don't maximize it with their hard work and work ethic. And then you get the people who maximize their work ethic who don't have talent. And that was me. But then you get the unicorns and these are the best of the best. They mirror and match both of them. And so that's why I've really just been infatuated with greatness. And so my second book, Relentless Pursuit of Greatness, is, again, the point of you're not reach, you're not trying to get to a goal. You're trying to go beyond and then reach your potential. And then I wrote about Dig recently, which just came out, which is dive into your greatness. And it's not right. about walking into your greatness. It's not about jumping into your greatness. It's about diving into your greatness. You got to leave. And you have to leave and jump off the diving board with both feet and hop in. Oh, it's so good, man. It's so good. It's funny. I was going down this YouTube rabbit hole the other day of a guy named Gilbert Arenas. I don't know if you ever followed basketball. Yeah. But he, I feel like he's such a good example of somebody who's maximum talent. Like guy was lights out. He had like his banner year. I think it was like 07 and he just kept hitting buzzer beaters and winning games for the Wizards. Yeah. And then 
he just like fell off. You know, he got into a bunch of personal troubles. He kind of got in his head a little bit and he just never recovered. He kind of fell off the face of the planet. Um, anyway, I was down this rabbit hole for reasons that are unbeknownst to me. I was probably killing time or something. But I, I feel like those stories, you know, it's so easy when someone's in the public eye to be like, oh, that's such a shame. But actually, you don't have to really look that far around to see these stories are everywhere. There's people around us who are talented or maybe we're those people listening where we, we are talented. We know God's given us something. But we just can't seem to step into this thing of greatness. And you mentioned the importance of not just having the talent and the skill set, um, which I think, you know, some of our listeners would probably say, I know what my talents and skill sets are. And some of them might say, I actually have no idea what that is. And then the mindset, right? Maximizing the mindset as well. I, I want to get to the mindset stuff because I think there's a lot to unpack. But maybe we can start with the skill set part. What would you say to someone who goes, Thomas, I hear what you're saying, but I don't have anything great to offer the world. You know, I just, I, I sit at a desk all day, you know, I, I mean, I guess I get to show up at home and be a, a father to my kids or husband to my wife, but you know, I don't really have anything that, you know, is going to make the tabloids or have people talking about really, you know, from afar. What would you say to someone like that? Who's having a hard time just even starting with their skill set and their abilities? Yeah. What's the thing that you cannot go a day without doing? Most of the time we get caught up in our daily lives, whether, like you said, it's parenting. So we have two children who are three and 10 months. And so you can get trapped in that. You can get caught up in doing that or going to work every single day to sit behind a desk. But there's something inside of you that's a craving. It's almost like you're sitting, you know, getting ready to go watch your favorite movie. And what's that favorite snack? I know, I know for me, I love Swedish fish. I have to have Swedish fish when I'm watching a movie. And I can't, it's the movie's not going to be as good if I don't have Swedish fish. And so it's the same thing with our life is that what is it that we're going through day in and day out? But there's that thing. Or it can be a couple of things that we cannot go without doing. It actually brings us to life. It allows us to go through the mundane aspects of our lives because we know at the midpoint of our day, at the end of our day, end of our week, we get to do that thing. And that's the thing that we have to find. And that's the thing that we have to cultivate. So for me, I used to love being in school and signing an autograph. And why did I love signing an autograph more than doing what the math problem was or what the English assignment was? Because I ultimately wanted to play professional sports. I thought I was going to be a baseball player and ultimately got drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2008 to play football. But the thing about it was I couldn't go a moment without thinking about sports, playing sports. I loved recess, hating pop, hated popcorn reading. Like, so I used to always go to the bathroom when it was be the student's turn to read because I hated reading out loud, but I never went to the bathroom when it was recess time because I wanted to maximize every single moment of recess. And so it doesn't matter if you're a fourth grader who loves to play tetherball or you're an adult who's in your mid thirties who loves to write or loves to read or loves to podcast journal or do something that's outside of the norms of what you do day in and day out to earn a paycheck. Because Cynthia, the thing is, is that your gift might not always get you in the tabloids. Your gifts might not make you go viral on social media. Your gifts might not get you talked about on a podcast, but your gifts bring you alive. And mm. people right now are struggling to come alive. And so True. what is that thing that brings you to life? And so for me, when I got done playing football, the thing that brought me to life is what I get to do now most of my life, which is to impact, inspire, and empower people. I tell people all the time, I never stop playing football. I just don't tackle people anymore. I was a middle <laughs> linebacker. I stay, I stood in front of 10 men 
grown men, alpha males who are trying to stop another alpha man, male, grown man from crossing a certain point, a threshold. Mm. Hey, they're not going to stop us. So getting people to see the impossible in the realities. So if we were winning, let's keep the lead. If we were losing, let's stop them so our offense can get the ball and we can go score and we can win the game. Hmm. Now, it wasn't every single game that I was victorious or I was successful, but I love that. And hmm. so for me, I just transitioned and tra use those transferable skills to do that. Now, I've spent a lot of time doing this for free, but I've also mastered a lot of different skill sets that I have that I did when I was playing football as a 30-year-old man, that I did playing football as a seven-year-old boy. It's mm -hmm. that thing that was inside of me that now I, now I get to do every single day that keeps me alive. And the thing about being a male and being a man, being a head of a household, being a head of a community, is that we need to remain alive. Yeah, that's good, man. That's really good. So you're paying attention to the things that are really like lighting you up, helping you come alive, making you feel like a sense of like purpose, or this is what I was made for. I'm curious for you, was it hard letting go of the career as an athlete and transitioning into this? Because I, I wonder, like, it sounds like you were able to do that well, and, and that you're in some ways, you're doing the things that it sounds like you're envisioning yourself doing for a long time, which is really cool. I know for some people, they get so, and I've done this before as well, so I'm not just, I'm not throwing stones, but you know, you can get so attached to this is the vision, this is what it's supposed to look like. And then God shuts a door or, you know, something comes up and you have to kind of go in a different direction, make a different decision. That can be really tough for people. You know, maybe they grieve that the loss of that vision or what could have been, and they have to readjust their expectations. We've worked with professional athletes in our program who have been exactly there and they end up acting out with pornography and other sexual misbehavior to cope with the challenges and the pressures that come from that pivot. Did you have to go through that at all personally transitioning out of professional sports? Yep. So when you're on the highest of highs, you're on the pedestal, you're, you're, you're every, every little boy in the United States of America has envisioned themselves at one particular time being a professional athlete whether it's yeah. hockey, basketball, football, golf, you name it, professional to be the yeah. top. I reached that pinnacle. And then when I stopped that aspect and phase of the life, I reached out to other things to make me feel as though I was the quote unquote, still the man. Hmm. But see, Sethi, I want to, I want to take a sidestep. See, for me, sports represented so much more than scoring touchdowns, winning football games and championships. See, I don't love the game of football. But what I loved was what about football, I was, it was a void in my life. And the void in my life was my father at an early age. And so my mom and dad got divorced when I was very, very young. And so I missed that part of me being biracial, being raised by a predominantly white community. My mom's white. I had a void of my other side. And so what I found was through the camaraderie of sports, through the competition of sports and through the um, adversity, the discipline, the commitment, the affirmation of coaches. That's what my father represented. I believe sports for me um, is what every father should give their children. And so I got that through sports. And so when I got done playing sports, I was still faced with the trauma of the issues uh, at hand. And so for me, I had to go to therapy uh, twice a week for the first year. And then I was going to therapy for four years after that to develop the self-awareness, to develop what exactly was I missing? Because 
no part of me ever wanted to strap up shoulder pads and helmets. I didn't call my friends and say, hey, you know what? Hey, on Saturday, let's meet at the park at one o'clock, bring your helmet and shoulder pads and let's run into each other. I didn't yeah. want to do that. But what I did miss was that of my father that a little boy craved. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to identify that. And so I went through my struggles of my first year out of the NFL. I spent $96,000 and didn't make a dime mm-hmm. because I still wanted to feel like the man. There was a void that didn't solve it. And so I would try to go out and be seen and, you know, do the things uh, that that I felt like professional athletes needed to do. Like I needed to date. I needed to be seen. I had to have the best car, still dine at the finest restaurants in Los Angeles. And ultimately that didn't fulfill it. And so I went to church one day when I got done playing football and I was just, I was in a deep crave for purpose, for vision, for focus. And I was sitting in the in the church and I walked through the church doors and I hear this song that my chains are gone and now I'm free. Amazing grace. My chains are gone and now I'm free. Wait a minute. Whoa. whoa, whoa. You're, so you're saying something to me today. Hmm. And I'm sitting there and I hear God speak so clearly in my soul, in my heart, that I can still remember that feeling that I got that day. Is God said, you thought football was your purpose, but it was just your passion to lead you to your purpose. So now I got this insight of where I'm supposed to go moving forward. Now, what I want to stop and pause and remind the listeners and people is that just because I got clarity, just because I got vision didn't mean I could escape the pain. The pain was still there, but I still have direction. And so now that I have direction, I can go in a direction. See, most of the time we asking, and this might be counterproductive to even my (laughs) business, we're asking a person what we need to be asking God. God yeah. said in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you. See, mm-hmm. I love to illustrate it this way. We buy a TV. Let's say it is a um, Panasonic TV. Something goes wrong with the TV. We call Best Buy or where we bought it, but we don't call Panasonic. We need to call Panasonic to ask to figure out what's wrong with the TV. What did you guys do with the TV? But see, we call Geek Squad at Best Buy. And then they figure out, they're Googling, they're YouTubing from Panasonic. We need to go straight to the source. And so that's what I did in that moment. And I found out from the source, say, I have a plan for you. It's a plan in the future. It's not a plan of the past. See, your past was to set you up for your present so that it can project you into your future. And so since I got projected into my future, I've been speaking ever since. And so the cool thing is, Sapia, is um, I wrote down during that time, I wanted to be a world traveler and impact the world. Hmm. And we fast forward 11 years later, and I just had my first international speaking engagement. So even though I got the mission and the vision 11 years ago, it took all of this time for me to live out the vision, the dream. So even like, again, going back to the point, even though I got the vision and the destination or the direction in 2011, I didn't get to the destination until 2023. Mm, Man, that's so good. And you're right. It's the clarity is the first step, isn't it? It's getting the clarity of where are we going and then it's executing, right? And that's the, that's the real work. Like anybody, not anybody, but most people can tell you their big dreams. They can tell you the stuff that they have on their hearts, or the stuff that God's spoken to them. But kudos to you, man. Like you're, you're demonstrating what it looks like to actually carry out this message a little bit and really chase after something, even if it takes 11 years. I think that's pretty remarkable. So on the skill set talent side, 
It's finding the things that make you come alive um, and trying to get clarity on those aspects. The other thing you said was maximizing your mindset. And I would love, man, just go like, just go for it. Like, what are, what does this look like? Maybe, uh, uh, maybe we can start with this. Like, what does it look like when people are maximizing their mindset? What did you learn from all the greats that you got to spend time with when you were in pro sports and all that kind of stuff around this subject? Well, first and foremost, they have to have a vision. See, okay. the vision starts in your mind and then it gets manifested in your life. So they knew exactly where they're going. I never, I never knew uh, the great leaders that said, well, I don't know what I'm doing or I don't know where I'm going. And especially when you're a part of a team or you're part of an organization or a department. So vision is clarity. Hmm. And then the next thing is that what are the steps that they're doing? Now, they don't have to be perfect steps, but they need to be able to do something that's measurable every single day so that they can track their progress. Hmm. And so like I like to share with people, it's just like, you know, people who are are in fitness, right? They're they're very diligent. They're very disciplined in what they're eating. So they know when their body's off. I didn't I didn't feel off. I, I didn't feel good yesterday because I didn't take my vitamins or because I didn't eat at these specific times and I didn't eat the specific specific foods. So right. there's steps that go into it. And then after that is that they're willing to chase down what they're after. Hey, we're going to go for it. We're going to make some subtle adjustments as we go, but we're going to continue to go for it. And we're never going to halt. We're never going to stop. And so I, I love to share this, this message. Um, so I played with a guy named Reggie Bush, who won the Heisman Trophy, one of college football best players ever. And one year, Reggie came out. So we used to start training after the season, right around January, the middle of January. So you take two weeks off and then you start the training process, <clears throat> getting ready for the next football season. And so Reggie had all of the talent that anybody could ever ask for. It was like he went specifically to God and said, hey, make me the best. And God was like, <laughs> all right, you need this, 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 and this. And then he also said, God, give me the mind to be the best. And so Reggie comes out this one day in training and he has a weight vest on. And Cynthia, when we, we wear weight vests, it's like 30 pound weight vests. Now, yeah. let me give you a little bit of context. You don't usually wear weight vests until about a month before training starts. So we don't start wearing weight vests until July. This is January. Hmm. Reggie came out in January wearing a weight vest for what we were going to do in July. Now, he didn't hmm. say, hey, guys, I'm wearing a weight vest today. Join me. Hey, guys, make sure you wear your weight vest today. What he said is that I'm going to wear a weight vest and I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> and so the next day, there was one or two other people who also started wearing a weight vest because we have to understand that competition has a positive effect on it. See, sometimes we think that competition is, is bad. That's comparison. I'm mm. not talking about comparison. I'm talking about competition. So right. competition came in the form of, wait a minute, you're not going to get a rep better than me. You're not going to get an opportunity better than me. So what happened was, is that Reggie had the mindset is that if I do it and I don't say anything, other people are going to do it around me. And mm -hmm. so what I learned in that moment is that the best, those ones that have the phenomenal talent and also utilize the phenomenal mindset is that now they cascade and they transfer their belief in themselves to other people. And that's one of the greatest qualities about leaders is that they have the ability to transfer their belief. And so with that mindset is that they elevate not only their physicality and their skill set, but also their mindset. Because what our mindset is, is our mindset allows us to do physically what we think about mentally. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So somebody knows their skill set. They know 
or they have some clarity on the vision and who God's called them to be. The next step then for them is to, like you're saying, you're tracking it, you're measuring it, and then you're somehow, it sounds like what you're saying is you're instilling or you're building this belief that what you're visioning can actually happen. And when you have to that belief in it, is that when you start to get the, like, is that when Reggie Bush gets the idea to put the weight vest on early? That's what drives it is you have to have the belief or what is it that inspires people to do these things that are outside of the box and pushing the normal bounds? Well, first and foremost is that they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. They're sick and mm-hmm. tired of, of, of waking up every single day, allowing, you know, um, the same thing happen over and over. This can't mm-hmm. be my life. Like yeah. I, I have to hope for something better. I can't keep staying. I can't be five years in the fourth grade. Eventually I have to go to the fifth grade. So, and after we go to the fifth grade, we're going to go to the sixth grade. We're going to continue to evolve and to develop. See, yeah. especially as men, one of the things that we're supposed to do is we're supposed to cultivate and build. And so what I'm seeing right now is that there's a lot of males who are staying stagnant in the same place, but not because of something else is imprisoning them, but because they're imprisoning themselves and they're not looking to evolve. They're not looking to develop. They're not looking to elevate and looking to grow. And so anytime we keep ourselves in prison, then that's when we start the implosion process. So with sports, I'm going to get faster this year. We always gave ourselves some type of internal goal. I'm going to get faster. I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to get more elusive. I'm going to get smarter in the mental side of the game. But when we stop playing the game, then Mm -hmm. we just feel like every day is going to be the same. See, what sports teaches is that you you always have another opponent. You always have another game. You always have another season. So you're always preparing for that next opponent that next Mm. season, that next game. And then when we're done doing that, we don't have another opponent, but we have to give ourselves that next opponent. During the pandemic, a perfect example. So uh, we talked about that competition and not comparison. I I have a teammate who was telling me right before the pandemic, he didn't know the pandemic was coming. And he told me, man, I'm thinking about going back to school. And say that my mindset was like, wait a minute, you're not gonna get better than me. You're not gonna get one up on me. I'm gonna go back to school too. So- I put it on pause. Now the pandemic happens. So I start looking into all of these different certificates, all of these different schools that I can go to. I want to learn. I want to impregnate my mind so that when this thing, whenever it is uplifted, I can come out of this thing a better person. Mm -hmm. I can come out of this more evolved, more achieved. Now, I didn't do anything with that certificate, but what I did was I learned how to learn. I went back to school so that I wasn't just sitting there waiting for something to happen. And it Mm -hmm. was that competition with the former teammate that gave me that drive. It gave me that insight of, yeah, you're right. We can be doing something while we're not doing something. See, I tell people this is that you have to wait patiently while preparing profusely. You have Mm -hmm. to wait patiently while you're preparing profusely. So even when you're sitting around, you're still getting better. Even when you're sitting around and it's your off season, you're ready for the next game, the next opposition, the next opponent. And so that's what I did during the pandemic. But it all came from some of these other mindset shifts and tricks that I learned while being an athlete that has helped me after I've long become uh, a civilian and not an athlete. Yeah, yeah. So you, you mentioned like a list of people that you've that you were fortunate to be around that we would all recognize as greats, you know, like Pete Carroll or Reggie Bush and some of the other people you've mentioned. I guess I'm curious because, you know, Pete Carroll is like 
really renowned more on the coaching side of it, whereas you know Reggie Bush, Reggie Bush more on the athletic performance side of it. Um, and now with your work, you know you've been doing this for a long time now. You've seen greatness in you know the corporate setting and uh, from a leadership standpoint and everything else. And I'm wondering if there's anything that um, you can say that maybe is a commonality or something that people typically think about greats like, oh, they were just born that way. They're just wired that way. That's something we hear a lot in our community. Oh, I'm just not wired like him, you know, or I'm just not wired to do that, Um, which, you know, we have very little tolerance for that kind of thinking anyway. But what would you, what would you, what are you observing or what, what have you identified that maybe these people all carry in common? Um, I know we've already talked about a bunch of stuff, but I guess I'm just curious if there is something that like that singular that exists across the board, regardless of, you know, age, race, spectrum, country, whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, so it's great. It's positive peer pressure. Huh. When you're in a situation that people can rise you to the top. See, culture is 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 one of the greatest determining factor of an individual. Not of an organization, but of an individual. You have a strong culture, then culture will bring the people who might be the new people. It might bring them up to speed. See, what we had at USC was positive peer pressure. We had walk-ons, athletes that had no, they didn't belong on the same field, but because our culture was so strong, they embedded themselves and they felt like starters. And that was Mm -hmm. all because of the culture that was part of USC. What I'm learning now, being a part of John Gordon's team, it's positive peer pressure. There's a lot of people on our team that believe in each other. And see, when everybody believes in each other, then the team can go further. But it's Mm -hmm. the positive peer pressure that John's created, that other team leaders like Amy and Julie and Rennie and Chad and Jade, and there's the list is probably 20 people. There's a positive peer pressure that says, hey, this is who we are. This is a non-negotiable. This is what we do. It's a non-negotiable. Uh, I'm in I'm in group threads with with a bunch of dads and husbands and leaders, and there's a standard of what it means to 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 be in this group. And everybody's not in this group, and so you have to live by these standards. Now it's an unwritten rule that hey, we're not going to do these things. We're not going to have these actions. And when you start to rub elbows with people and you start to get in that room, it's not them just like Reggie. It's not them coming saying you don't do this. It's not even talked about. That's not how we're acting. That's not a behavior that's acceptable. And so the positive peer pressure allows people to elevate and level up because that's the standard. That's the jersey we're wearing. That's what we represent. See, we play for the name on the front, but we represent the name on the back. And so that's what I would say that I've noticed, whether it's been in sports, whether it's been in corporate, whether it's been uh, in speaking, whether it's in churches, organizations, when you have that positive peer pressure, People know that, hey, if I act this way, I'm letting other people down. Yeah, that's really good, man. That's really solid. And that does not happen by accident. So it, it makes sense um, why why that's so important. Can you tell me a little bit about the faith component and how this ties into you uh, for you? Because I, I know this is the one thing I love talking to athletes about um, who are faith-based because the pressures are real, right? When you're playing professional sports, uh, your faith really does go through the ringer and gets put to the test, not just in what you believe, but you know how you live and all that kind of stuff. And it's pretty obvious in the work that you do, and even just as I'm getting to talk to you now, we're 40 minutes in, um, it's pretty obvious that you you shine the light of Christ. You know, it just comes through. It just comes through everything that you say and everything that you're up to, man. I guess I'm curious how does how does the model of Jesus or how does Jesus in your life 
um, relate to the message that you're talking about uh, with greatness. Because, you know, we're in we're in this time where like people are like, oh, you can't say that. You don't shame me. You know, like it's almost like anytime you call somebody to to do something greater, you set a standard. All of a sudden you're shaming people. You know, we get that all the time. Like we're very public about why we think porn is bad for people. And that's one of the biggest pieces of feedback that we get that's more like negative or pushback is like, oh, you're shaming me. Like I can do what I want. Um, like you're trying to make me feel bad for watching porn, which obviously we're, we're not doing. But um, but I feel like like a message about being great, you know, and you're, you, write, you wrote a book, like dive into your greatness. Um, some people are, are not going to get that, you know, and I think even in Christian circles, especially we've become so sensitive to like having standards or pursuing greatness. Um, I'm just wondering, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or, or if you can comment on how does, how does the faith component play into this pursuit of greatness? Yeah. So um, as you're talking, one of the things that comes to mind is the scripture of those who keep their mind steadfast on me, I'll keep them in perfect peace. And so as an athlete, hmm. you know, we, we play games and it's like, our record is this. So either we're going to the playoffs or we're not, we're going to the championship or we're not see, but that's when your mind's on the natural, right? And so when we can keep our mind steadfast on the supernatural, which is the realm that Jesus and God and the Holy spirit live in, when we keep our mind on there, then we will be in perfect peace. We won't act out. We won't start to look for, for other ways and other situations to dominate. And one of the things that I think that I learned after my career was that scripture. I was always the guy who looked around because I was in comparison mode. I need to make it to the NFL. And so what is that player doing? I need to try to win a championship. So what is that team doing? See, one of the principles that I love that John teaches is the inside out model. And so how we, how we illustrate this is that we talk about the egg, the carrot, and the coffee bean. And so when you take the carrot and the egg and you put it in boiling hot water, which is just to represent this world that we live in, the culture that we live in, what happens? The egg hardens. And the carrot softens, right? So, so many of us have turned to becoming hardened, you know, eyebrows down, frowning, walking around like the world is miserable, or we've gotten soft and said, you know what, I'm not going to fight it. I'm not even, even going to push against it. I'm, I'm just going to let it happen. Hmm. But the, 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 the greats, Jesus, the greatest, he walked around as the carrot or the coffee bean. And he said, I'm going to transform this world. One person, one disciple, one village, one space at a time. And so he was the coffee bean. He didn't harden, he didn't soften, but he transformed the places that he was in. And that all of us have the opportunity and it starts at home. It starts in our community. It starts in our neighborhoods, right? It doesn't start mm -hmm. on social media. It doesn't start on the world. That's from the outside looking yeah. in, right? It's from the inside looking to the out. And so one of the things that I really, really strongly uh, believe in is that keeping your mind steadfast. So having the mindset of, okay, Jesus, what do you want me to do? The greatest question we can ever ask is, God, what do you want me to do hmm. in this situation? Most of the time we're saying, okay, what should I do? Yeah. No, well, not what should I do? It's asking God, what do you want me to do in this situation? Right? One of the yeah. stories that I love in the Bible is the story of Job, right? The serpent had to ask. Hmm. The enemy had to come ask God, okay, you know. Let me come, let me come mess with one of your greatest servants. Have you noticed my servant Job? And so all of the things that happened bad, he came back to God and God returned everything that Job lost. And so what we need to do is we need to understand that we don't live uh, with Christ in a finite time. It's an infinite time. Mm -hmm. You know, one message, one word, one positive action can change the trajectory of our lives. 
but we're looking for all of these different things at certain times. For example, I'm, I'm trying to go viral or I'm trying to you know, knock it out of the park with this one idea and this one invention to get these investors so that I can go on and live this life that I have envisioned for myself. God said, you don't need to do that. Listen to me because I've orchestrated this whole thing. See, we're a character in God's movie. Hmm. God's the director. And so we can be in one moment, the backup, the person that just walks by the camera and you have to hit pause to go, hey, that was me. <laughs> or we can be the Denzel Washingtons, the Tom Cruise, the Brad Pitts. We can be those people too in a moment. And so as long as we can continue to talk to the director of this movie, he'll put us in the best position because again, he knows the plans that he has for us, yeah, not the visions right. that we have for ourselves. He yep. knows he has the plans for us. So continue to keep our minds steadfast on him. He'll keep us in perfect peace. And remember, perfect peace is the new powerful currency. Mm. Mm. That's good, man. Yeah, it's really good. It's funny that you mentioned John Gordon too. We have him coming on the podcast and uh, I forget, I think we're recording with him in a couple of weeks to promote his new book. Um, so yeah, yeah. I just got my copy in the mail yesterday, actually. So oh man, um, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, I want to ask you one last question, which is you're talking to people who are, you know, most people listen to this podcast because they want to improve their lives. In particular, they're trying to shed sexual sins some bad habits, um, some kind of misbehavior that is wreaking havoc and they know they need to get rid of it so that they can step into the things that God has for them. Yep. And the, the one thing that we, uh, that we like to ask people on the front end, you know, is what changes in your life when you get free of pornography or whatever it might be? Because like you were saying, having that vision and having something clear of like, this is what we're after is really valuable. The next thing we like to remind people of is there's no reason you can't start now. And yeah. obviously it, it varies depending on what we're talking about. There are some things where it's like, actually, yeah, you probably do need to get your life cleaned up at least a little bit before you start stepping in there. But more from the mindset standpoint, I think sometimes people might hear a message like what you're saying, Thomas, and they're like, oh man, this is so awesome. I can't wait until X, Y, Z so yeah. that I can start to execute on this stuff. And you mm -hmm. and I both know that's not how this works. What yeah. would you say to somebody who's, who's kind of... Um, they're they're doing the dance a little bit and they 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 have that yes and amen in their heart, but they're kind of putting it off or they're they're putting it into the future and not necessarily agreeing to some of these things now and actually taking action. What would you say to someone like that? I would say that the person that you're trying to become in the future is waiting for you to start now. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. Okay. September 1st, 2019, I stopped uh, smoking marijuana and I stopped chewing tobacco. And my marijuana stint was two years. Um, and then my tobacco stint was 12 years. And I don't know if you've ever tried to stop tobacco use. And it is hard. It's crazy. Imagine, man. Um, so I chewed tobacco for 12 years. And like I said, I was using cannabis and marijuana for two years. And I remember waking up one day feeling that guilt, that shame. But even most importantly, I was wasteful. My best time to operate is between 5 a.m. and 12 p.m. That's my best time to operate. And because I was using marijuana, I was waking up foggy. So I wasn't actually coming to myself until like 11, 12 o'clock. So I'd wasted all of that time. And I just felt guilty and I felt shameful and I didn't want to feel this anymore. And the thing with tobacco, or I'm sorry, the thing with marijuana, or yes, with tobacco was somebody told me, they said, Thomas, your gift is to speak life into people. What if something happened to your mouth? And I was like, whoa, Dang. now all of a sudden I have to look in the mirror and go, God, I can't use the gift that you've given me because I've abused the body that you've given me. Mm. 
Dang. And so on September 1st, 2019, I said, I'm done. I'm done with both. And Sapia, as God is my witness, I haven't used either of them since September 1st, 2019. Let's the go. hardest thing I didn't, I didn't say, I didn't say it was going to be a new year's resolution. Okay. Yeah, I'm going right. to do it for a little bit longer and then I'll start January 1st. Right. I don't even know what day of the week, September 1st was. I don't know if it was a Thursday. I don't know if it was a Wednesday. I don't know if it was a Monday because sometimes like I'm going to start next week. I said, I'm going to start now. And what I'm going to focus on is I'm going to focus on becoming healthier in those ways. I'm going to maximize my golden hours, which is five to 12. So I can't sit there and smoke marijuana or eat gummies or use cannabis. Now, again, I'm not saying you use them and you're bad. I'm saying for me. Hmm. And then also I was talking about with the same thing with tobacco. Okay. I'm going to fill my calendar full of times that I'm not going to be able to use tobacco. So one of the biggest thing, the drivers was playing golf. I would go to the store, pick up two cans of tobacco, and I would play 18 holes of golf. So what I, the sacrifice, I don't play golf anymore. I haven't played golf since 2019. So that was a sacrifice. Do I want to play golf? Sure. Do I want to go hang with the fellas who play golf? Yeah. Does it eat me inside when people are sending me pictures and videos of their golf swing of, you know, birdie putts and hole in ones? Yeah, of course. But obedience is greater than sacrifice. The word says it. And so the more obedient we become, the easier sacrificing becomes. Mm -hmm. So for me in that moment, it was about the future self was waiting on me to start now. Mm. Okay, that is really good, man. I think that was worth the interview just for that. That was very, very helpful. Um, Tell us where guys can get the book. Uh, Dig, I want everyone to hear about it and to make sure they get access on it, man. This has been... Fantastic. Just really quick, where where can people find you if they want to know more? Yeah, so I have a website, thomasrwilliams.com, where you can find more information on me as well as the books that I've written, um, and they're all available on Amazon. So again, diving into your greatness, not the greatness somebody has for you, but the greatness you have inside of you. Yeah, let's go, man. Awesome. We'll put the the link in the show notes, and uh, we'll make sure people have easy access to that. Thomas, thanks so much for your time today, man. Man, it's been awesome. Thanks, Zafi. I appreciate you, man. Amazing. Well, I'm so grateful to Thomas. He's, he's got a really good message. And hopefully, you extracted a nugget or two out of there that you can start to apply in your own life to maximize, optimize, or at the very least, improve an area of your life that God is maybe highlighting or maybe just something that you've been a little bit more focused on lately. I have to imagine if you're listening to this podcast, that might be recovery. And trust me, you can take those principles and those concepts, apply them to recovery and see tremendous results. Now, if you're maybe sick and tired of doing this on your own, or you just want a little bit of additional support, I want you to think about our program, which is Deep Clean. Our focus at Deep Clean is helping men resolve the root issues of sexual misbehavior, pornography addiction, et cetera, et cetera. And we have helped hundreds of men from around the world do exactly this, not just get to the roots, but actually sustain that freedom long-term. We have a pretty simple process, but it's very effective. And the way we administer the process is through um, our system, which is very unique, one-on-one coaching, group coaching. I mean, we kind of give you the whole enchilada. So if that's something that you're interested in and you know it's time to get free and maybe you know that if you continue down this path, things could get downright ugly and you don't want to reach that point, well, consider this an intervention moment. This is a chance for you to change trajectory before it's too late. 
there's a link in the show notes for you to book a call with someone on my team. And on that call, we just want to hear a little bit more about your situation and then to see if what we have here is a good fit for you. So it's very low pressure, but it is a chance for you to get some more help and to see if our program could be the next thing that you need in your journey to make a lasting recovery. I think there's a pretty good chance it will be, but I'll leave that up to you. Okay, so link is in the show notes. In the meantime, thank you guys so much for listening. If you know somebody that needs to hear this podcast, make sure you share it with them. And uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey everybody, it's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast, and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.